So, where are you at right now? I am in Switzerland. I'm track racing around Europe. What's, uh, I guess, like, having just been there in the summer, what's your favorite part about Switzerland, or do you even like it? Ooh, ooh. Well, that's a loaded question because uh, my girlfriend lives here, so I need to oh, say that. Yeah, yeah. She, so she's my favorite part, but I actually do really like Europe. Um, I think, I mean, obviously, this is where a lot of, a lot of bike racing happens, uh, specifically track. But mm. um, yeah, I think as long as, as long as you're in a little environment where you can at least feel like pretty comfortable, uh, then, then it's a sweet place to train. It's a lot easier to get to a lot more races, but um yeah so it's not always like that huh like if you're in a if you're in a kind of grim situation it gets it wears on you quick and then and then it's a pretty miserable place <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you're saying switzerland is not a grim place is what, I'm, what I'm switzerland is definitely not a grim place uh i'm uh i picked a good locale that's for okay. sure sweet sweet uh, have you had fondue oh <laughs> not this tra- tragically <laughs> that's I'm, I'm bummed you brought that up because now i need to but do it low-key my favorite is uh is roasty that's uh, uh it's basically yeah. hash brands but yeah i mean for anything with cheese it's, yeah it's perfect right. <laughs> yeah especially switzerland cheese yeah that's pretty great uh, um so i guess you know you're basically getting back into the swing of racing um after a pretty like decent hiatus um I guess, how's it going? How's like the reintroduction to the life and, and the pursuit and all that? Uh, it feels great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, especially, uh, so yeah, I had, I had my own little injury that has kept me out for uh, basically five months now. And then before that with like stuff going on the last however many years where racing has kind of been like teeter-totter, like stressful, whether you know if you're going to event or not. Um, it's nice to be back being a bike racer, you know, not just a bike trainer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and it's actually, I, I was surprised I, I'm on pretty good form. Um, I always anticipate like a little bit of a, or I, I sort of just build in that you need a little bit of racing in your legs before you start to go really well. But um, I've, I've done a few now and already like, Already at the first race, I felt pretty good. So, um, but yeah, just to have a number on the back and like have that mindset, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Huh? Yeah, good, good. So you have one more, right? And then you're coming back. Yeah, one more tomorrow. Um, tomorrow's not a UCR race, but then the last two races I've done have been. And uh, my most recent one is in Eagle, Switzerland, at the UCI Center. Mm-hmm. And well, it was. Uh, it's basically a mini world championships. Um, it, it, the field was so stacked and this, this is a little bit different um, or a unique aspect of track. Uh, so at the highest level of track racing, you can only race one person per nation. So in say a scratch race, there'll be 24 people all from different countries, but uh, at a C1 level, which is where I just was, uh, you can have multiple people per discipline. And so, for example, the French are really strong in, in track cycling and, and like the Dutch and the Danish. And so instead of just getting one of their best guys, you might get three or four of them. And so in some ways it can be 
maybe not so much compared to world championships, but most of the deepest races are C1, which is the second highest level, not the very highest level. Um, yeah, it's it it fast, but um, yeah, really good racing. You, so I guess I would assume that when you're at the highest level and you're only racing one from each country, that almost uh, simplifies the game in a way. Um, yeah, totally, totally. I think it's, uh, I, I, I prefer it. It definitely makes it a little more clear. Like mm-hmm. um, you, you don't work together on the track and you, you don't have teammates, but um, it's just, uh, you end up racing with the same people so much that you almost kind of race their tendencies where, mm-hmm uh in in the highs of at a world championships or a nation's cup where there's only one person per nation still it's uh it's kind of like yeah more the fundamentals of bike racing so it's a little bit less stressful in that way you mentioned that you're racing the same people um even with kind of like the individuals going in and out of racing on the road is that still pretty common to see the same people doing the same circuit yeah um i mean for sure for the biggest races it'll pretty much always be the same guys and then uh there's a couple sort of key c1 level events throughout the year that um almost always has the same guys and that's that just tends to be because where they land in the calendar like this race i just did lands 10 days before world so it's Mm -hmm. you know perfect tune-up for um for guys doing world championships. And then there's another one in the spring that falls right before the nation's cups. Uh, and then most track racers, uh, are sort of accustomed to racing throughout the winter. And so mm-hmm. like in January and or December, when there's not a whole lot going on in the road, uh, that's when you start to get a higher frequency of like world tour guys that, you know, have a little bit more time now and can race on the track yeah. full time. Is uh is there any other Americans out there racing with you? Uh, not here. Um, there, there's a bunch or a group of them in in Portugal. They're preparing for World Championships, uh, but they haven't been racing. But they'll do. Uh, yeah, they're they're prepping a team pursuit for Worlds right now. Cool, cool. Um, well, we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit, which is which is fine. I think that that works pretty well. Um, but. I guess I could just, I should give you a little bit more of a of a proper intro. Um, so, welcome everyone. This is the Training Edge podcast, um, and I have with me Colby Lang. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to have him on. Um, I wanted to uh, basically just pick his brain on his both experience on the roadside and on the track side um, at a high level, and just get the difference there. And I think uh, kind of spread his wealth of knowledge in both directions. Um, so I guess to give everyone a little bit of an intro on you, I'm going to ask you, um, who is Colby Lang? How, how would you uh, describe yourself? Uh, uh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, <laughs> what does, uh, what does Iron Man say? Like billionaire philanthropist? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um yeah i'm a i'm a cyclist i'm a i'm a pro cyclist uh track and roads i ride or next season i'll ride for project echelon on the road and yeah yeah on on the track let's go on the track uh yeah with team usa and then also a trade team called cheney windows and doors but 
Um, I, I grew up as a ski racer, did that full time. I went to a ski academy. Uh, my dad is an Alpine ski coach. I was, that was my whole life. That was what the, everything, everything I did basically was around ski racing. I I loved it. And I thought it was so cool. But then, um, always had my eye on cycling and the short version of that story is I, I enjoyed it and I uh, tried a couple of times to sort of dip my foot in the waters of uh, riding full time. And then finally, finally I got an opportunity on the track uh, and started racing there. And then all of a sudden lots of doors started opening. And I mean, it's a sweet sport, right? Like cycling is so cool and I pretty instantly fell in love and is also just a good time in my life to transition. And so uh, now I'm lucky to do this full time. Um, just to real quick touch on the skiing part. Do you still ski a lot or is that kind of taking us? <laughs> Unfortunately after? not. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, it's fortunate because, you know, when you're young, you're not really aware of this, but oh, it's expensive. <laughs> it's really <laughs> yeah, it expensive. Yeah, it and I love it. But so like, if I'm just going to do it part time, I'm not home that much in the winter anyway, because I'm, you know, trying to be somewhere a little bit warmer to ride but yeah you know i i've skied only a couple of times since i you know quote unquote retired but still love it but uh you know i i should do it more but i haven't man well let me know when you're back um and maybe we can go skiing at some point dude that'd be super fun yeah yeah i love it yeah just yeah yeah, you could teach me (laughs) um so I guess on, you know, originally I actually thought you started on the road. So it sounds like you started more on the track discipline. Um, so how did, how did that come about? Like, how did, how did you get pulled into that so quickly? Um, well, yeah. So when I was still skiing the, the couple months in the spring and fall that I had to bike race, I'd take advantage of it. And that was always on the road and uh, you know, I'd like, I'd take it seriously and I'd train and I'd do all the local races and stuff, but it was a secondary thing. Mm. But then, uh, yeah, I was just, cause I was skiing so much in the summer and it, it didn't really work out to, to do road very well, um, or to do both very well. And so my dad came up with the idea that, uh, you know, there's a velodrome in Erie, Colorado, like Boulder Valley velodrome, mm-hmm. like check it out. So it'd be a fun way to stay involved in cycling, you know, it's like exciting and new and it actually probably would have been better training for skiing, like shorter, a little more explosive efforts. Um, and fell in love with that pretty quickly. And then also was noticed, um, by some of the stuff I was doing there. And then, so I got invited to a USA cycling track camp. Um, and after that camp, then, and I was sort of involved in the, in the track program full time. But I guess before all that happened, uh, Roy Nickman and Lux, uh, were already going to help me out. So I guess technically I did start on the road, but, um, and you were how old at this point? Uh, 18. Okay. So young, um, relatively, I guess, um, the, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Um, sadly that, velodrome is no longer uh in operation which is a bummer but uh yeah. and then lux actually uh this is their last year so yeah you're, you're, you're making yourself sound old here but um yeah the that's that's phenomenal i guess you know one of the things that i wanted to dive into within the differences 
um, was training. So that's something that you kind of brought about um, and kind of what the differences between the two are. So um, to start, I wanted to talk about what the buildup within the season was, um, which you just made an interesting point that you'd kind of used uh, your ski season. That ski season was like the frontal portion of the year, it sounds like. And then you used track as like the the rounding out of that portion of the year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, yeah good. No, I was, and then the, I guess when you started to bring in more road racing as well, how did, did that change anything? Did that change that, that build out of the year and what did that look like? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you're right at first. Um, I mean, I was basically not riding at all during the winter and then my last season skiing before I started riding full-time I was I was uh I was training on the bike obviously always inside but uh it was still like quite minimal and it was it was supplemental to skiing and uh yeah like I'd have to go back and look but I'd assume that the majority of the time I was spending on the bike would, would be with sort of recovery in mind to recover from the skiing efforts but then um you know, funny enough, I actually think skiing uh, is a pretty, like alpine skiing that people normally think like Nordic skiing, but alpine skiing is actually pretty good cross training for cyclists in particular, because uh, we don't get any, oh, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, eccentric, is that down? <laughs> like if you're going down in a squat, we don't get any of that riding a bike. Um, but in skiing, that's, that's pretty much all it is. I mean, you push off a little bit if you're, if you're, if you have the skills for it and you're racing and stuff like that, but the majority, like when you're tired at the bottom of the leg, it's because of like the forces that you're resisting, not pushing against. And so, um, I think that actually always helped me because I was within a relatively short amount of time, maybe four or six weeks on the bike, I would, I'd be riding at pretty high level and mm -hmm. like, to me that uh that or is as at least not traditional you know like i didn't have any sort of base season in there um but then when you start riding on the road uh it is probably more ideal right to spend more time on the bike and stuff but i think at first i i made plenty of mistakes of of overdoing it um and yeah you have to balance uh everything of course but the thing with road and track is like tracks specifically really really rewards freshness and in being able to uh yeah sort of snap off these these shorter efforts and these like vo2 style efforts and anaerobic capacity efforts um and so you can be feeling pretty good on the road and, and racing all right uh and then like yeah you know be motoring around at zone two or zone three and think you're smashing it but then go to the track and just be creeping um <laughs> And so it took me, it took me a while before I, I started consistently threading that needle. Mm -hmm. um, but now they, they suit each other really well. If you know, I think, unfortunately for most people, it's going to take making a few mistakes, but once you have a good idea of how you do it personally, they, I think I'm a better road cyclist because I ride the track and, and vice versa for sure. Yeah. So I guess like, let's give people some perspective on what the, like calendar year now, uh, more or less looks like. So what does a track calendar look like? Just like month to month kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, 
so traditionally the bulk of track racing happens in uh the fall and winter um and so like it's kind of really starting to ramp up now that i've been doing some races there's been a bunch of uci races recently and then uh there'll be the world championships and then this winter or when the nation's cups are and stuff like this and uh so basically i think you'll normally if you if you look at it from a track perspective and say your start of the season is september and then your your goal race will either be or like your biggest race will either be traditionally in february or in this case october um you might take a little bit of an earlier sort of breather after or like maybe finish your road season a little bit earlier and and almost use what you've been using or use what you've been doing on the road as sort of your base season that, that's when a lot of your volume comes in and clearly a lot of intensity and stuff too but you're going to be entering uh the fall with a lot of load um and so yeah take take a little bit to freshen up a bit and then uh as you get into like september and october like really focusing on certain neuromuscular efforts because like on the track you only have one gear and say the majority of the race will take place between maybe 100 and 120 cadence and then the the sprints yeah uh, depending on what kind of track you're on it might even get into the 150s um (laughs) and that's that's without ever shifting right and so like to get up to 150 first you gotta go to 130 and 35 etc um and so i think after after the road season it's it's important that you that you work on that because um you're rarely using that in a road race setting um in training you may be working on it throughout the year but then uh yeah then so then we end up sort of riding quite strong and and being in good fitness sort of through december and january um and then uh with world championships normally being in february like uh hopefully you're someplace warm in in december and january able to accumulate a fair amount of volume but you're also having to ride the track a few times a week um and threading that needle is also hard i think in the past i've i've done too much track work um like too many sessions per week and i think that uh it's really fatiguing which is which is interesting and i think it catches people by surprise because i mean a track session <laughs> especially if you're working on an event like team pursuit or something like this, your track session might have a total ride time of 35 minutes. If that, and it it just, you do enough of them and you're, and you're just useless. And so, um, yeah, I think as I've gotten to learn my body, at least more, I've, I've favored, uh, freshness and specific, city of of track training over over sort of total load and and feeling good on the road motoring around so what do you do to offset that so you know instead of doing more track sessions what do you do um i think typically probably just more uh yeah i mean just a aerobic training right mm-hmm. i think it's the track racing 
is so strange to me because uh so there's sort of two in the endurance category there's sort of two events there's team pursuit which is a four minute odd effort and then there's bunch races which are yeah like more similar to road racing but uh they're normally especially in the omnium which is olympic event the longest one is going to be 25 minutes but three of them are only are 10 minutes or less um so they're not very long and it's a totally flat track obviously and on the road at least my logic would be it would either always end in a sprint or if someone won solo it meant it was like pretty easy for a big majority of it right like but on the track for whatever reason because you can't really ride in a bunch you're riding in a line like without fail if it, it the race is already blowing apart three minutes in and like there's been no climbs like everyone's been able to draft 90 percent of the time um and so yeah i think it's uh it ends up being an effort of uh recovering from like vo2 and anaerobic and neuromuscular efforts opposed to say your your average power for the 10 minutes might end up something around your threshold but you spend nearly no time at that at all and so it's more recovering from those types of efforts and some training kind of reflects that um and i tend to prioritize training that will help me sort of recharge after these near max efforts over being able to just do a really high power for 10 minutes or five minutes or one minute or something like this yeah yeah i mean it's the basically um some of the guys on the team and some of my athletes give me crap for this but the concept of like fatigue resistance of depth is a very different thing on, in the track world mm. um, track discipline i mean it's the there is no you know four hour grind of uh slowly whittling away at the body's resources and then doing a maximum effort like the, that doesn't exist it's more of high rep repetition of as you mentioned basically large um all out high anaerobic efforts um and even if you, you know you're going out and doing uh, like a six day or something like that. Like it's still these really intense efforts and trying to recover from them in a row. Um, and I mean, I guess this is a question for you, like on a typical track, like the, the races that you've just done, how many races are you doing in one day? Yeah, that's, that's one of the hardest parts too, but before I, just cause I thought about it, as you said that, yeah. um, Another one of the reasons why it's so hard to recover on the track is because like we we're talking about, you're at, like, you might be recovering at 120 RPM. Yep. And so uh, if you're having to pedal at all, so basically doing anything other than like coasting at 120, like, like noodle legs, uh, that, uh, at least for me, that, that tends to like fry you, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so uh, you might be clearing lactate, but like, it's, it's really hard to get your breathing back under control and stuff like this. But yeah. And then, uh, and, and you talk about the, the track being quote unquote flat, but it's, it's not, it's a, the banking just in itself can provide fatigue and just like oh, totally. a, a track steady can provide fatigue. Definitely. Totally. So, yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's different for sure. Yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing, like with the turns. So even if you're alone on the track, just riding around, like your, your power and your cadence kind of looks like a sine wave. Yeah. And so, 
um even that takes like getting used to and that like i think that's what most people talk about when they talk about getting their track legs back but yeah uh yeah you race a lot and so um say uh even at the highest level races at, at like an omnium or something you'll normally have to qualify and then the race itself will be four races and so you'll race five times in uh the span of maybe four and a half five hours something like this um and then at a lower level uci race well you might race uh i don't know maybe six or seven times maybe more in a day um and i'll be kind of spread out throughout the whole day but uh yeah it is quite interesting because um like because there's such uh like power intensive events you, you need to be ready to go from from the first pedal stroke and so like you need to be you need to be primed and sort of in the right space but also if you warm up and cool down too much between each event all of a sudden you've done like two and a half extra yeah. hours of riding which yeah. also isn't like by the end of the day that's that's plenty of fatigue so um <laughs> it, it's really it's really tricky and i think uh you, you learn to go off feel a bit but um there's so many variables into like what what you should be doing for this warm up right. that you're about to do but so how do you, how do you read that? How do you, how do you uh, interpret that in the moment? Um, I think what the biggest factor is time between events. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you might only have like 40 minutes between the finish of one race and the start of another. In that case, uh, like by the time you've like stepped off the track, spin your legs for a little bit, eaten, like now you probably only have 20 minutes left till the start. And so, and you've only been off your bike for five minutes, so you can just spin a little bit more and you don't need to like sort of yeah. get going again. Like the, the effort before has done that. But if you have more time than that, then for me, it's, uh, I, I find it beneficial to, I mean, you don't want to take up as much time as possible, but to sort of get yourself going as slowly as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, if it's like, if, if that means like riding at 80 Watts and that means riding at 80 Watts and then eventually you sort of feel like, like oh, okay, this, there's like a switch in your legs and like you're breathing and maybe you start to sweat a little bit and then it feels just natural to go a little bit harder. Um, and just kind of keep following my feel of like these cues of, oh, okay, it feels a little bit better now. I can go a little bit harder up to, a little bit below threshold probably in, in maybe like a, a 10 minute span or so. Mm -hmm. And then um, maybe just one quick, like high cadence effort just to get the neuromuscular going again. But um, I don't know if it's a pseudoscience, but it's definitely imperfect for me. Like I, I wish I knew, I wish I knew exactly what to do, but um, it, it's a challenge for sure. Hey, it's mean, one that people get wrong all the time. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, so this goes into another question, you know, on the road, we dissect by the, you know, minute almost of what you should be getting into your system, um, fueling wise. Mm. So you're talking about like, you know, you have a five hour event, you're racing 30 minutes of the five hours. How do you fuel? How do you like off the bike? Like, what are you taking into your system? Can't be too much or too little. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's actually that's a great question. I, that's even harder than the warm up. I think. Yeah. Um, 
if it's it's easier when when it's more condensed uh like the event at heart is is harder because you know you gain less time to recover but mm-hmm. like if you're only having 40 minutes between races and you're riding most of that anyway then then you almost would feel as if it was one continuous four hour effort you know like you're just a lot of carbs a lot of like simple things to digest and that's pretty simple but mm-hmm. in the case where you might have Oh, sometimes even three hours between events like you, you like you're not going to have a full meal um, like immediately after uh uh immediately after the race before and also if you did that like you would be having whatever like eight full meals in the day and then <laughs> so um i mean uh so it, it gets really tricky um of course like you're prioritizing carbs, but basically I bring uh, a massive grocery bag and its <laughs> contents are just, just sugar, basically. And like uh, uh, a copious amount of like gummy bears and stuff like this, but then nice. trying, trying to hit like every sort of uh, level of the, you know, glycemic index. So like mm-hmm at the like you have your gels and your sort of race food and then gummies which are also really high and then like a little bit less with rice cakes and then you might have some like brown or like whole wheat bread and then like maybe some brown rice and then like sort of just nibbling at all of it um to try and keep you topped off but also yeah it's, it's easy to eat it's almost impossible to not eat in a, in a surplus and be fueled mm. for the races, I think. So it's like a, a smorgasbord, like you bring just like a buffet table and then oh, yeah. have it's, to read it out. It's so heavy. It's yeah. so heavy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and drinking so much and because you're inside and like you're, you're sweating a ton because like typically, yeah, it's just really hot in the velodromes normally. And even if you have a fan, like it's not the same as warming up on the road or something. And so. Yeah. like staying on top of fuel and your salts and uh yeah it's uh it's tricky yeah so one of the other things i wanted to talk about was uh power and the use of uh power while t- either training or racing and then um using that on the, the back end so because looking at data while racing is not allowed um but you can do it after the math or after the fact so um you know, in my experience with my, um, elite track racers, like the, the power data coming from track is, is pretty funny to interpret. It's, uh, it's pretty wild. Um, cause you know, as we've kind of mentioned, the races are hyper short, hyper intense. Um, and then it's just kind of like the most hot and cold data of all time. So I wanted to hear mm-hmm. kind of like how you use your data or you and your coach uses your data and what that kind of looks like on a constructive value. Yeah. Yeah, t- track files are actually a little bit sad because you'll step off uh, a 10K race and you're like, whoa, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And then your average power is like low yeah. zone three. <laughs> like, wow, well, you know. Um, and so, yeah, for, I mean, when you're looking at it first off, I would say you can, I don't know, it might be, it might be a little bit less, but you can lob off 8% off the power you do on the road for any given like if, it, if you're just doing an hour steady effort a minute 20 minutes whatever you can you just produce less ta- power on the track and that's how it's um, and so you need to keep that in mind when you're looking at it but uh 
I think the the key things to uh, pay attention to is um, one your cadence, and so uh, the gearing is really tricky on the track, and it takes sort of getting used to what you like. But once you figure out a range of what you're comfortable or not even comfortable, but at least capable of, uh, or just yeah, proficient at producing power, like trying to pick gears that will stay in that range. And then you also have to make sure that when you're sprinting and hitting these really high cadences, that it's not uh, either too big of a gear that you can never actually get up to big high enough speed or too small that uh, your top end speed is really short because you get up to there and then all of a sudden you're spin out and you probably will hit a similar top speed, but you'll, you'll, you'll die really quick um, because typically in a track sprint, uh, your peak power will become, will come, I don't know, maybe 10 or sometimes even 15 seconds before your, your finish line. And then by the end of that sprint, your power might be, yeah, something similar to what you could do for, uh, for five minutes or something like it, it really tapers off quick, but, um, because of the banking and, and the, and the swirl of the track, like you're still going at top speed. Um, and you're also, of course, not sprinting out of the saddle very often on the track. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think then from to see, you can see if you raced well or not by actually tracking heart rate compared to your power better. I think on the track, once you sort of come over a certain, we can say threshold, but just once you go over your limit then it becomes nearly impossible to recover, at least for me. Um, and so like your perceived effort will be basically maximal for the last 5k of a race. But then you look at the power and they, they've been they're like, they're quite tame. And you're like, like, how is that possible? Like, I, I felt like I was going to get ridden out of the wheels. And is that something that you could hold for three hours on the road? Um, and so you can look back and see like that you're, you're making decisions on the track that you're staying below that sort of limit or threshold. Um, and then that's when overall you'll end up uh, producing more power, but then also your, your sort of perceived exertion will be much lower as well. And then once you figure that out, then it feels a lot more similar to uh, almost like a crit compared to like a maximum time trial where you paced it horribly and you're, you're like wishing you're like, Oh, you know, if I had a flat, that would be nice. Cause then I could stop. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. It's a, it's like limitations within like the different variables that we were talking about earlier. So like the impact of the track is very high. So these are all like nuances that you're kind of like describing of how to kind of like limit essentially that cap of when you're kind of maxed out um, and how to control that. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, from the coaching side, it's a frustrating <laughs> thing. Um, but you know, also tracking you, it's quite helpful to continue to be fairly old school, like talking about track times and splits and gear ratios and all of that stuff. It's, it's still quite beneficial, at least from my experience. So, yeah, yeah, totally. I think, I mean, especially just because, like you said, you, you can't use data or you can't see data while you're racing. Yep. Um, so to develop that feel 
is is super important because uh like it, it's so and it happened to me all the time uh early that particularly in this one event called the tempo where you score points every single lap um you can get off the front and then you're so off the front and you're getting all these points and it, and it feels like you're not going like too out of your skin and then uh like you look back at the field at the file and, and it was essentially a max effort for for however long you're out there and like you weren't really aware of it because of the uh whatever the adrenaline or like yeah. you're paying attention to where the other people on the on the track are and stuff and then like from that point you're you're useless and had you even just dialed it back five percent you still would have scored 90 percent of those points and then had legs to to keep like be effective in the race and like have influence on it in the back end opposed to just hoping you don't drop a lap or something like this yeah hard control though very hard yeah super super (laughs) so the you know the next thing i wanted to dive into was the differences just within um honestly logistics and getting to races and what that looks like because it's pretty different um and i was curious just even in the sense of like you guys are flying into a place going in, into one centralized location rather than, you know, road racing where you're going to maybe a race hotel or a host housing or whatever it might be. And then doing the races there. And that's kind of all covered on the logistic front with uh, staff and, and uh, management and stuff like that. But I was curious, kind of like even just what the logistics look like, what the equipment looks like, like, do you have staff help? Like what, what is that side of track racing look like? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> The funny thing about tracks are they don't tend to always line up with uh, a place that like would be good to ride your bike. Um, and so, for example, like we have races in Hong Kong and uh, the surrounding area is definitely not where you'd, you'd head for a training camp or something like this. Um, and so it can get pretty tricky. Uh, and at the higher level races and if you're racing with the national team then then thankfully a lot of it is taken care of and then and then it's easy but uh if you're on your own for like i am for this little block i'm doing um yeah it's uh it's tough because you need yeah you need your your road bike that you'll be warming up and and riding on and whatever and then you need your race bike and then you need your spare bike uh which will which means like uh, obviously you want them to be as identical as possible um and that includes the gear so like you don't just need one 60 tooth chaining you need two and then you don't need like one 16 tooth prog you need like probably three or four you know and uh and then you need multiple chains and like on the track you use different chain lengths as well because like uh yeah, eventually, like, your chain just won't be able to fit a certain gear ratio, and then so you need two of those. And so that gets pretty tricky. Um, but the the saving grace is, yeah, you end up racing at, at similar places pretty often, and so at least you kind of learn how it works. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you find your rental car uh, place that you like, and then um, <laughs> you figure out, uh, typically what car you get and how many, how many bags you can fit in there. So then the next time, you know, you can sort of thread that needle of making <laughs> sure you don't bring too much or too little, and, you know, and then you decide if you want to see out the windows as well. And then, <laughs> um, 
but uh yeah and then of course it's always in like you have to be able to get your huge lunch bag for the race and making sure that you're on top of that uh and that it's you know within reasonable distance of where you're racing or finding time for all this and then you're also like kind of so the races typically happen in the evening but you're, you'll normally like have a bit of a warm-up ride in the morning and so like fitting that in and uh you know making sure you don't sleep past breakfast because your race finished at 1 30 last night and you didn't go to bed till three but you should probably eat you know before you race again so uh yeah it's it's uh you see a lot of zombies walking around at track racing um, yeah but especially if they're unsupported yeah so i mean so you you're basically saying you fly then with three bikes yeah okay yeah Um, thankfully track bikes don't have derailers so that makes it a little bit easier but yeah and uh yeah and then you might need um like you're gonna use your aero helmet like you'll use your time trial helmet which i mean if you race on time trials on the road then you bring that too but you know it's just a lot of space and yeah uh uh but then you also might need to bring your time trial bars for your for your track bike and then those are always bulky and so um, can you then, can you do all this in two bags i'm curious yeah yeah bags. i do i have a double bag for the track bikes and then yeah. and then a normal one for the road but then the trickier part if you don't have to bring spare wheels it, my setup's all right but if you have to bring the spare wheels as well then uh yeah you're you're, you're a little bit at the mercy of the of the airlines <laughs> if, if you come back with a hole in your disc or something like that. oh gosh man the uh do you have to bring like rollers or you know something else to warm up on yeah yeah gosh i didn't even think of that yeah rollers <laughs> um some people bring trainers and then that's really bulky i mean most tracks they'll be able to help you out so like if you okay. you contact them ahead of time they'll they'll have a pair of rollers for you but okay, nice, um nice. it's uh but yeah that's always stressful you know and like uh, will they actually have them like yeah, what's the yeah. situation and then sometimes <laughs> it's just they'll just be like a, uh, maybe like 10 pairs of sort of like public rollers but then you know there's 70 people at the race so um <laughs> like that's not, that's that's uh, nice <laughs> it can Good get luck. can get yeah. ugly yeah. yeah man man i bet that's a quite a comical thing going through an airport with um do you i guess are a lot of the velodromes logistically easy as far as like you know driving to being at nearby like hotel or you know what yeah uh typically yeah it's, it's pretty good like um You'll like there's places that are that are really really inconvenient. There's a track in Chile that, um, like best case scenario, you're staying a half hour of oh, city traffic to the track, and then like the problem with that is if you like you may have in the case of team pursuit, if you have a few hours between your event, ideally you'd like to get out of this massive like sun dish of anxiety that a velodrome is but instead mm. you just have to like bite the bullet and sit there because like you're not going to be able to get home and back and to the track in time um but typically it's all right like in switzerland specifically they're, they're really good at helping you out to get to the tracks um even if it's like an hour from an airport or something but That's um yeah it's uh it can get pretty messy and then uh 
yeah, that, without fail, that there's people that are showing up to the race without track bikes and like praying that the airline <laughs> brings it to them in the in the dying minutes before their race. And then it, it actually happens pretty often that like they'll get it before, like 15 minutes before and they're building it oh, up. Like, yeah. uh, has that ever happened to you? Thankfully not. Um, Hopefully, but, uh, knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, yeah, that's man good on you taking that on it's a lot um so you, you mentioned though for the national team it's all that i'm assuming is covered then it's, it's just uh having those staff members to kind of help work those logistics move things around just makes it that much easier i'm assuming yeah totally and typically with the national team like if you're racing with the national team it's at a high level event uh and so they normally have their ducks in a row the event itself will have its ducks in a row more anyway so mm-hmm. um like that's taken care of and then and then, uh, then when you're with yeah USA Cycling, then that's when you start to have mechanics and stuff to build up your bikes and whatnot. Cool. Um, but yeah, well, packing track bikes at yeah, literally one thirty in the morning after <laughs> you just smashed yourself, and then you have to go to the airport at seven the next. Oh, oh, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty <laughs> brutal place to be, actually. <laughs> Not surprising. Um, so. I wanted on like a final touch point. I just wanted to, uh, circle to basically just what your ambitions are, like where, um, what are your long-term goals? Like, what are your kind of pursuits? Um, and, uh, I guess like this question is primarily focused on the track. Um, but yeah, like what, what does that look like? What is, uh, what are, yeah, what are, yeah. What does it look like? Um, well that, that, uh, that's all sort of changed, uh recently um not really my approach at all but how i'd answer that question is is different now than maybe a few months ago or a year ago something like this um but basically uh i love the track and i love racing and and i've never i always step off a track racing the like rather went well bad I was flying, I was creeping, like I always walk off the track and being like, man, that's awesome. And so I want to do that at the highest possible level and feel that. And so in our case, that's Olympics. And so I want to go to Olympics, but on, on a performance level, my goal at the beginning of the year was to be metal capable at the world championships, this coming world championships. And because of my injury and, and, uh, the logistics around that, I, I won't end up getting to compete. But like I said, this uh, um, this race I was just at was a, a mini world championships and uh, perhaps deeper. And, and these guys are on world championship form. And I was second and fifth. And so like I accomplished that. Like I, I, I think I am probably maybe maybe I'm not a medal favorite, but I am medal capable at the highest possible track race event. And so um, now my goal is to exercise everything I can do to uh, try and realize that. And But that's about executing a process and whether that's, yeah, like fine-tuning your nutrition on the day, fine-tuning how you warm up between races, fine-tuning how you balance road and track and how you prepare and how, how much rest you have going into event and, and your tactics and what tactics suit you. 
and, and dialing in your equipment, et cetera, fine tuning all of this to give me the best possible chance to sort of realize that potential. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's really competitive and it's really hard. And if, if I give myself that chance and, and I have done everything I can to do well, and then for whatever reason, it never ends up happening and that's okay. And so I don't know if it's my goal to, to be world champion or to have a world champion medal or Olympic medal or go to Olympics, but uh, I believe I can do it. And my goal is to give myself the best possible chance to do that going future. And to me, that's super enjoyable. So that's why, that's why I like to do it. I would say that is one of the most mature answers I've probably never heard across multiple, multiple athletes. Um, so executing a process like that's, I think the, basically the concept of like having a primary goal, a realistic like goal that you have to work really, really hard to achieve. Um, that isn't a given because nothing is a given. And, but what you're going to do is essentially give yourself the best shot to do it. And I, yeah, I respect that big time because there are things that are out of your control. So then it's, you know, making the best of what you can control. And yeah, that is, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll write that one down and, and, <laughs> and, uh, show it to athletes in the future. So, um, no, I think that that's phenomenal and, um, yeah, I hope that, you know, the, the gear brings, um, good fortune to that. Um, the, just for, you know, those that don't know, um, what is the, what is the process? Like, let's say, for example, you are, you know, wanting to go like the big goal is to go to the Olympics to give yourself the best shot to do that. What does that look like on, on your side? And uh, it can be long range too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if we, if we put in perspective of this coming Olympics in 2024, um, that, there's some like hard, uh, not deadlines, but mm -hmm. there's, there's steps that you have to make to qualify. And so there's, um, there'll be between now and the Olympics, there'll be, uh, six nations cups, uh, one world championships and two continental championships where you can accumulate points to qualify for the Olympics. Um, and they, you don't take all of those results. You take a mix of your best ones. Um, but without getting into that, basically, uh, you need to be performing at these races and, and scoring points. And then uh, at the end of the day, you need to, yeah, like 24 people can race, um, can race, uh, say, an Omnium or 18 teams can race a Madison. So you have to be in that top 24, top 18. Um but then uh, from the sort of process perspective, uh, one, I mean, of course, you can always get fitter and stronger and like dialing, dialing that things in. And so sure, sure. on the track, I think uh, like your, your little strength. So stuff you can do in the gym is, is really important. And so continuing to develop as an athlete and uh, uh smartly in a way that's like sustainable and um because if you can from my perspective if you can put in two and a half really good years of of work uh consistently like of course you'll, you'll get sick here and there and crash here and there but then that will be 
so much you'll be so much further ahead than than like in the past i've i've gone full bananas for six weeks or something and, and done these epic training blocks and and been going well for a li- like really well for a little bit and then and then i'm cooked for two months you know what i mean that's not sustainable so mm-hmm. uh yeah just continuing to prove physiologically but then uh for me a big part of the process is like studying film studying how i'm racing studying how others are racing what works for people like what's what are trends that people that are successful are doing how are they approaching various events within an omnium so to speak um and then basically racing as much as i can and, and trying variations of that and matching that up to my physiology and the fields that i'm in and see what's most effective for me and my skill set and then uh on the track equipment's big so uh you need to be um like of course ideally if i had an infinite budget i, I could be at the cutting edge of like sure. arrow and stuff like this but um you need to i can't because you know not a national federation or something but um you can't you do need to like keep up with it you know what i mean and like gains are getting smaller and smaller but um at the end of the day uh i need to like that's my goal right to give myself the best chance yeah. possible and so that includes that and so um yeah focusing on on your little equipment like your bike and your wheels and tires and chain rings and efficiency chain lines whatever but then also uh aerodynamics and so getting helmets that fit your position well and and handlebars that uh can put you in a sustainably aero position because i mean especially on mass start bikes it's 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 great like everyone can get stupid aero for a lap you know what i mean but uh one your arm gets tired and two um yeah it's just it's just not sustainable so you have to find what the fastest sustainable position is and then that that takes time and it just takes a lot of tinkering and and analyzing and and uh looking at it from both 10,000 foot view and then also like in the moment and seeing what's working so uh yeah I think knocking off those sort of bigger picture things will will hopefully I'll continue to develop as an athlete and then uh then I'll have given myself a good shot and in the meantime I, I get to enjoy like racing the track which is the sick part yeah and travel and traveling the world too yeah so, yeah, not, yeah totally. not, so, not so bad um yeah. well Colby thank you for jumping on here with me and just kind of chatting through all these different things it's a different world that I think people will enjoy hearing about um so yeah thank you thank you thank you yeah sick. that was super fun um anytime uh and uh can't wait to hang out with you more this year as well yeah 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 we'll be seeing each other quite uh frequently i think uh transitioning to the roadside but yeah it'll be no we're absolutely stoked to have colby on the team um this year he's obviously based off this conversation has a wealth of knowledge to bring to us so i think and uh if you're not already on the uh slack channel that has uh all the arrow nerds on it Colby, you should jump on that channel because I think you'll ah, enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, so you yeah, know, yeah, good. Yeah, these are my people. Yeah, right. exactly. All right, thanks, dude. Sick. Yeah, ciao. Bye-bye.